Anatoly, and Anatoly is. Um, how would you actually describe yourself, like uh, in that regard? Because uh, I don't want to say, you know, people would say psychic or like. Oh. Yeah, so wh how, oh, how do you describe yourself? Uh, okay, let's let's uh, let's have a a round of a self introduction. Sure, sure. Okay, so basically, I come from, uh, you know, uh, a world of uh, science, if you can say it, you know, because I published some works on. Uh, you know, uh, cybersecurity and all that stuff, and uh, in the um, uh, probably the most leading Russian magazine. And also at the same time, my career was actually more in the business ethics compliance in the corporate uh, segment. But at the same time, you know, from uh, the time I was uh, 22, I've been working with uh, executives of the old firms like Emico and BP and all that stuff. But what I'm doing right now, I'm uh, working with um, company owners, executive suite, kind of level people. And what I do with them is basically uh, put them through a very short, uh, uh, a couple of sessions to empower them to enhance their abilities to run their business and, you know, basically get the best out of themselves. Well, like becoming the best version. Right. Well, it's not only performance, it has to do with the you know, a bit of a deeper harmony, more clarity, more focus, more creativity, you know, all things combined. So basically, it's like removing any negative blockage they may have and getting the top performance of what they can possibly get without having to do any spiritual training, any training, any induction, nothing. So, and that's basically, I prefer it to be like people that come, they have a zero interest in that and he only say like it's difficult how would they end up like talking to you if they have a zero interest in that that's a well some of them would be doing some executive coaching and all that stuff and as a result they would get close enough to actually realize that you cannot progress beyond a certain level because of the stuff that's holding you back mm. and if you don't address it you may just spend like, you know, doing years of therapy or years of coaching and you won't get much. So, so, but I'm not a coach. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a shrink. I'm just a guy who just does one short intervention. And then executive coaches work with the people who get like, you know, unlocked with all the potential, with all the even like uh, in case they are gifted. So they get their gifts, you know, coming online. So that's why it would be difficult to describe what I do. Uh, but I came up with an idea because I decided to combine it with business ethics and what I do to call it a transformative business ethics initiative, TMA. And that was like one- They love acronyms. Yeah. Yeah. But then my uh, uh, executive coaching partner, he decided just to go more like with a new reset. Uh, so resetting the person to the original clean slate of what the person was like before they started accumulating all the junk on the way. You mean in adult life? Yes, like you said, you know, growing up, having rough childhood, having lots of issues, sometimes trying to deal with them to make them worse, right? So all this stuff stays as part of your system unless you start working on it, you know? So people do it through meditation, retreats, you know, various self-work, but people I work with, they just don't have time for that. And sometimes they don't have a natural proclivity for that. So, so I show up and they decide for themselves. Okay, do you want to take a couple of hours with this guy? Or I'll just skip it. 
So that's where they make that decision. Or, or just skip what? No, uh, skip out. the opportunity that presented itself. Mm. You know, but yeah. I, I had situations where people would be like, okay, I'm interested, but I need to think about it. And right. they would disappear maybe for a couple of years and then circle back and so. So if I'm, <clears throat> let me try and reca recapitulate what you said and see if I, if I have the right ballpark of a picture here. So the way you, you would view yourself and describe yourself is that it's not that you view this entire enterprise of spiritual awakening and the ability to be clear and all that stuff as necessarily uh, some kind of an other domain of, uh, of the world or human understanding. It's essentially a continuum that until now we don't really have a good language to describe, especially in, in scientific circles. So we don't really know how to talk about it, but it's a, it's a natural continuum of the world, of our possible experience, of what we're capable of and how we can go about it. And you're simply looking at it from a very uh, uh, functional perspective, which yes. is that, look, I can do this thing and all of a sudden your performance go up, goes up. Yeah. You attach whatever story you want to it, but it will work. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I decided to dumb it down to that yeah. level. I can tell you why. The neuros neuroscience basically has discovered a lot of answers for that. Over the past decade, it has never become part of the mainstream for a reason. Because of the huge industry built, you know, self-help, personal development, professional development. So they don't want that people, they don't want people to know that significant discoveries have been made. And as a result, if you read a couple of scientific articles, if you care, you see that there are ways they can fix yourself. The trouble is when they tell you it's inside of you. So, so anyhow, so the idea is that there've been plenty of discoveries made, okay, to explain them all that, but nobody would care to do a deep dive to understand the science. Right? But here is the rub. What are the discoveries? Do you mind telling us? Okay, you yes, the rub? sure. Yeah, yeah. So basically we're talking about, remember maybe about 10 years ago, there was this uh, tendency to say like, oh, neuroscience, you know, it's neuroplasticity. It was so much talked about, right? And as a result, everybody started like including that sweet word of what they do, you know, mm. hey. Neuroplasticity? Yes. It's like, you know, for example, if you want to learn like a quantum. new habit. But people all of a sudden always say quantum and everything. That oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like it's crazy. Yeah. So everybody's been using that, right? Saying, hey, you know, it's like quantum mechanics, quantum this, quantum that, quantum leadership, quantum consciousness, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No idea what that is. Uh, no idea. No yeah. idea. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so the idea was like, okay, everybody talked about, everybody like used up some mileage on that, but it never stuck because it never had any substance behind it. Now, what I do is actually is really is this, and it could be called roughly synaptic plasticity uh, with a word attached to it like instant synaptic plasticity. Why? Because you know the way our brains are wired about our experience, how we feel about the, you know, the world, about ourselves, that's all reflected, the way people treat us, you know, if we get more negative, we get treated more negatively, you know, so it's just like this. Uh, you know, perpetual crap. Like self-perpetuating. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's called karma, you know, by yeah, philosophers, yeah, yeah. but it's actually our biofeedback, the way we respond to the external world and you know, external stimuli. And that's how it affects our brain and, you know, rewires us. So our brain paints the world according exactly, to... Exactly, yes, exactly. So can you imagine if all that uh, blockage that sits right here in our neural pathways what if it's all removed? And you go back to the original state when you were like six or seven, 
before you hit the rough patch and you started like really doing stuff and it started affecting you, creating more comp, you go back, you wind yourself back to that state, but you still have your skills, you have your experience, you have your gains, you have your achievements, you have your belief system. And there's no shift in your belief system. I'm not doing any of that sh you know, stuff. So basically what I do is like, okay. You can curse by the way, there's no problem. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, but the idea is again, it's not like uh, I'm saying that I'm like somebody who has that power to do the trigger. No, I'm just a trigger. But all that self-healing potential sits within you. Now, the way your body and your nervous system and your brain responds to me when I'm talking, that starts the healing process by itself. And it runs, it runs until it's complete. Sometimes with some people, it could be a couple of weeks. With some people who've got a lot of crap you know, to process, it may take two, three months. But every day you feel it. You wake up, it's running on its own. So, so that's why I tell people, I'm not a psychic, I'm not a healer. I do have all that capacities and all that, but I'm not using that. Why? Because, because if I start doing stuff, it interferes with other things I do. Okay, you can be deploying uh, things you've been gifted with 100%. There's always a price to pay for everything. Okay, so I know that I'm not stupid. So I don't want to be greedy, even though I can do certain things. I don't want to be greedy. I just want to do what I am supposed to do. How do you know what that is? Well, I know that. Mm -hmm. I know, I know what I, what I, well, because look, how I do that. It's not like I tell myself, how oh, it's stupid, right? Yeah, I wake up and I tell myself like, you know, I think, I'm made for this. Uh, but the idea is that I ran it by other psychics and I used esoteric tools to double check. Okay, I think I have this. If I get, if I triangulate and get the confirmation from people who are not interested in me, they just need to confirm yes or no. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Okay, done. Tick the box. This is what I'm doing. This is my mission. And that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm fine with it. I don't want to like add my ego to the exercise because it's going to hinder the process. So what, one question that arises for me sure. is, uh, and I'll tell you exactly why I'm asking, yeah. so there's no ambiguity. Yeah. So it's not, uh, so the, the, the simple question is, how do you do what you do? But the reason I'm asking, I want to frame it for you, is because I'm very interested in, in the bridging between the scientific world and the spiritual yes. world. And I'm very interested, what, what language do we use to collapse this distance? Like how do we say uh, with a certain amount of uh, uh, seriousness to the scientific community like, hey, take this seriously because here, okay. here's the is the frame that I'm, yeah, th this is Very what good. I'm doing. Very good. Uh, I basically rely 80% uh, on the lingo that the uh, neuroscience community has come up with because we, I can describe the process. You know, you say, how do you do it? It's very simple, okay. So basically, you know, going back to this idea of, uh, let's say, karma. For some reason, business people love the word. When they hear like, it's karma, it's a bad karma. Every time they go over 50, and they start feeling like, okay, I can't enjoy my life anymore. I'm rich, I'm famous. The age of 50, you mean? Yes. Okay. For some reason, I've been, been hearing from people yeah, I've been yeah. working with, and they go like, okay, this expensive food doesn't taste any good. I don't enjoy any relationships I have. I don't enjoy like the most expensive wine. I don't enjoy being famous. I don't enjoy anything. I'm sitting on money. I don't enjoy the weight of the money right under my butt. But, so, 
So I say, okay, well, you arrived at a point where you have to do something with all the shit and sometimes bad shit you did. And I heard it from lawyers and everything, you know, all sorts of people. And now, but here's the rub. I can offer what I do to people because the way the universe works, they have to ask for it. By the way, it's not only with me, it's with anything. You have to be aware of what you want and you have to ask for it. This is the first rule of engagement. Because I've tried before, tried to offer people, you know, to heal them, and every time I had this violent pushback, slapped in the face, spat at, you know, I was like, they're not ready. No, it's, this is, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Mm. For example, you know, like if, if you wanna, if you understand, like you tried your luck with medicine and everything, it's not working, you have to go and seek out a healer and you have to ask a healer for help, right? But if a healer comes up to you, not ready for him, right? Hey, I can heal you. I don't need your money, I don't need, I, just, I can heal you. So your first reaction would be, because your mind goes in this revolting stage. No, there's no way you don't want ego, anything, yeah. No, it's like, you don't have no control of the process, right? So you just push back as hard as you can without even understanding what the hell you're doing. It's like, hey, you're getting help. It's being offered to you. So that happened to me so many times that I said, okay, great, I'm not doing this anymore. I'll have other people do that for me. If they care, fine. So that's why I can completely withdrew myself from this light of fire. And uh, I just thought, okay, I learned my lesson. I will not offer people, I, you know, sometimes it will be like very heart-wrenching situations where I see someone who's this close to commit suicide. This close, I know I can't offer any help. It's very painful, you know? Yeah, so I will be like, I wanna say something, I wanna do something, but I can't. And you know, the Chinese, they, you know, they have this uh, same kind of like Confucius, or maybe Buddhistic, you know, kind of view. When they see a child drowning, they would not do anything, just kind of look dispassionately on the child going under. It's calmer. So, there is that's an element. That's a weird one, but yeah. Yeah, I know, it's a weird yeah, one, yeah, but yeah. that's what I, the one I heard from the Chinese, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, it's a primitive one, yes. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm saying is, this is the cutoff. So, which means I have so much to offer but I can't, as if like, there is a certain framework and there are certain rules. So I just have to be very careful and very dispassionate. It's like, okay, if something is meant to happen, let it come to me. So since from that point on, things started happening differently, okay? And uh, now, you asked me a good question. What about the language? Well, how do you relate? Now, going back to neuroscience, I can explain how it works, very simple. So basically, the way we respond to the world, it's all about how we react to the you know, external stimuli, the environment, the noise around us, right? We like it, we don't like it, we engage with it, we don't engage with it, fine, there's a difference. So my voice is like this external stimuli, you know, stimuli, you know, like it's the, the, that our auditory cortex reacts to and then starts impacting, you know, various parts of the brain you know, especially the one first with the language processing, like the Wernick uh, and the Broca's areas in the brain, they kind of like go, right? So, and then the, the system starts responding to it, like, okay, like I like those vibes. And suddenly the system decides, okay, now I can heal myself. Without you even knowing this, the system starts like working. Okay, if I need to fix my brain, maybe there's an, an extra rush of dopamine or, you know, the way I connect with this, uh, with those 
and it's called interbrain neural synchronization, or actually to be more specific, like brain-to-brain entrainment. Mm. How we get synchronized, our, you know, the neural coupling between our brains happens. It could be through the release of neurotransmitters, right? Or could be through... Uh, like various neurons? Or? Well, yes, bingo. Okay. So, yes, okay. If you, if you want to list the basic uh, elements of it, first off, like you and I talking, we feel a bit connected, emotional contagion, limbic resonance, whatever you call it. Our limbic systems resonate, right? Then, when we go deeper, mirror neural system kicks in, right? Because even though um, scientists are conflicted about the nature of it, right? Also, they always talk about like, oh, it's like a monkey, it's an apple. Well, somebody grabs that apple, monkeys, uh, you know, uh, in the, that monkey's brain, mirror neurons kind of get like reactivated and all that. What well, goes more, more than that? We can predict an intention of another person using our mirror neurons, okay? So that's the second component. The third component, this is where the interbrain neural synchronicity comes in. It's the oscillations of the brain wave, you know, waves, uh, and it could fluctuate. Could be alpha, could be, you know, theta in my case. Now, why theta? This is interesting. You know, you probably must have heard about theta healing. It was, it's all a hoax, <clears throat> because it's a great idea, but it's not working like the way it's described. But in my case, because again, I'm connecting with a person through all these elements, uh, and I'm always on theta. For some reason, you know, kids, when they reach uh, age of like 11 or 12, they get shifted into the adult you know, frequency, uh, oscillations, right? It's like alpha and all that. So, and their skulls hardens and everything. So, theta says goodbye. When they're younger, they're very perceptive, you know, seeing a boogeyman, seeing things, invisible friends. You know, they can actually see a lot because of those, uh, uh, you know, theta brainwave, you know, oscillations. So, but stuck with me. And that's why hearing my voice, your brain starts imitating and synchronizing with my oscillations. By the way, why is it uh, trying to mimic theta? Because theta feels good? Um, <clears throat> because because if, if because I'm, I'm following you very closely, but so why is it specifically that they're following you and it's not that your brain starts following theirs? Because you're aware or? Well, first off, the way it works is like it's a speaker listener situation, right? Mm. So. Oh, because they're the receiver in that. Yes, okay. that's right. Because if we have a disrupted conversation, it doesn't work. Mm. It, it requires a certain time, amount of time, for the synchronicity to kick in. Usually, it just depends on how advanced somebody is, if they happen to have some spiritual practice, right? So if they're pretty advanced, it takes about 12 minutes, and they go. Mm. And then they, I usually explain to them, look, it's called interoception. Interoception is the way your physical body reacts to my voice. And it sends you a signal. It could be, well, people who are pretty advanced, they go, okay, I can hear you in my brain, right in my brain. Uh, people who have a zero a spiritual you know, uh, experience, they say like, okay, I feel it's going down my spine, down my legs, up again in my arms. It's a series of small shudders or like, you know, goosebumps. So you do feel that. And I say, usually tell them, like, look, you just have to tell me. Or if you feel like you don't want to tell me, use an hourglass, just flip it. That way I know that you feel that your body is responding, your nervous system is responding to my voice, okay? Basically, by the end of the second, uh, first se uh, session, people feel like really grounded, very calm, 
like, you know, like stone. I said, that's called equanimity. Just like in Buddhist, you know, there's opakta, I think. Opakta, opakta, opakta. So you feel that. Oh, yeah, well, there are different yeah. terms, yeah. So you feel that, like you're centered, you're grounded. So that's good. It means like the system kicked in, okay? In the second session, I said, uh, you know, just to make sure you know I'm not fooling or playing with your brain, because sometimes people with a similar uh, ability, they do exist, right? And, uh, but what they do is they put you in that state, but that state fizzles out several hours later and nothing happens to you, right? So I basically trigger, act activate the process and it runs until it's very completion. Everybody knows that. That's the reason I work with therapists and with friends. I said, look, I want to do it on you because you're a professional, so you can process those deep internal changes in you using your professional knowledge. And they reported back like, okay, we've been journaling, we've been like thinking, we see all that stuff like coming online, it's crazy. It's like, okay, so I'm fine. But the second session I usually tell people, just so that you know, it's not a hoax. I want you to very, very, you know, sketchily tell me about your most traumatic experience you've ever had. And I'll remove it from you just like that in two minutes, in less than two minutes. The most traumatic, could be anything. But I'll have to go back to the original thing. Uh, there's got to be some eligibility to what I do because I can only work with a healthy brain. Uh, no like drug abuse, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, uh, you know, no neurodiversity either because with narcissists, psychopaths, you know, people who have ADHD and all that, I can't do much because the brain, the physical tissue has changed, has been altered. So they're not responsive to me, but sometimes they are. Because mm. I've had partners uh, before, all of them were narcissists of various kinds, three or four of them. And when I started speaking, uh, I be became a speaker for uh, Thomson Reuters and I was like on stage, speaking before three, four, th you know, 5,000 people, they were like there responding. But I knew they could respond, but I could not take them over the thresh, over the hu uh, hump, right? Just to cut to another side. So, so I'm aware of my limitations, okay? So that's why I usually tell people, look, if you tell me openly, you don't have the history of that stuff, I can remove anything. But if there is something that somehow you have some chemical imbalance or you had some brain damage, you know, or whatever, like blunt, uh, a tool to your skull, something, I cannot fix the uh, physical tissue. The hardware. Yes. Yeah. Bingo. We're going back to the conversation. The software and the hardware. Yeah. If the software is there and it's messed up, but the hardware is pretty much intact, I can work with it. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if there is something else involved, which again, I cannot like flip on and off the ability to do, to heal and rewire and transform at the same time. See? So I, Way back, I had the choice, a two-fork road, whether to be a healer or to be this. And then I was like checking around my soul's mission, so to speak. I just realized, okay, I have my mission in this life is very clear-cut. To empower business leaders because they are important to deliver our world to a new level. So if I can do some of that, okay, my mission is over. So then I was thinking like, there are too many healers. They don't need another healer. But we did have a conversation about that. You know, I was thinking, am I the only one? Because 
Our, my partners insisted I should find people like me. Nobody wants to work with one aberration. You know, just like, you know, an exception. Who, who needs an exception, right? Maybe you're just... Yeah, it's like, yeah. So I do, exactly, one office, nobody is interested in you don't, you don't know the ramifications, you don't know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they were looking for more like, okay, if you can find and deliver three or four people like you, you're in. We'll help you, we'll do this, we'll treat this as a, as a real pilot project. So I kind of put my brain to this, I was like looking around, okay, I identified some people, they couldn't do something like that, but because of where they come from, you know, it would never, they would never get even close to a single business executive. Because these guys look at you like, mm. what are your accomplishments? Who are you to tell me something? Because they still need the accolades. That's right. Well, the they need credentials. They need to understand whether they're spending their time on somebody who's got credentials, publications, acceptable, you know, a reputation, right? Because most of the people who have some interesting I actually sometimes admire people who've got amazing gifts, but they've never really, they decided to stick to their gifts and they waited for the world to come to them. You know what happened? Nothing. The world did not acknowledge their presence because, okay, you have a gift, but you're not trying to work hard to become just like anybody else because it's actually it's the other way around. First, you sweat blood, you become somebody, and then you're allowed to practice your gift. That's why my gift came up only much later in life. Mm -hmm. After I made a name for myself, you know, and then it was like, okay, now you can openly talk about it. Because I met people who had like really amazing things, you know, they could do lots of things quite amazing. But the world around them, nobody would be interested in them, nobody would help them, nobody would pay attention to them. And I was like thinking like, oh, I see how it works. So you have to really try to become, like, you know, become acknowledged by the physical uh, plane, the physical world around you for what you are, as a just John Doe, right? But then you will be allowed to exercise whatever extras you have attached deep inside of you. Okay, if that's the way the cookie crumbles, okay, let's play it this way. That's an interesting observation because because even I'm noticing that even the people who uh, on the surface didn't necessarily have to do a lot of work to become, well, no, they had to do a lot of work with themselves to become whatever they were, but they first were already of a certain stature. So uh, the Buddha was a prince. Uh, wow, I'm going to sound very ignorant right now, but it, was it Tolstoy or Dostoevsky who was actually of, like of a lot of memes originally? I think both of them were kind both. of loaded. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, think but, they, they, but they were basically like on a certain level, right? And then they became, they decided to like basically drop all of that. But they yes. already had the status. Exactly. Basically. Right. Okay. So you see, it's interesting. Yeah, you you understand what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So the status comes not just because for your ego to materialize itself. No, no, it's almost like you have to understand what the pain of the physical being is, and then when you go through the whole thing, okay. And then you go like, okay, I think I learned my lessons. I don't know where I am, but I think now I'm ready for something big to happen to me. I think that's when it's like, you know, the cutoff period. And then you're either allowed to do whichever you do, or you go and you're completely in denial and you're going to sink. If you sink... So what do you say to people like that? Because we need more of that, right? We need people who are actually capable of helping other people. What do you say to... What is your suggestion for people with those gifts that never had the accolades or the... 
understand. Here is, here is this, uh, you're making a very uh, interesting uh, you know, statement here because uh, people who reach a certain awakening state, right? They want to stay in it. That's it. I want to enjoy, I want to meditate. Just leave me alone. I feel good. So we're talking about what's the practical application of your personal enlightenment. It has meaning only for you. You can't transmit it. You can't transfer it. You cannot improve the world. Because you have to remember, the reason we are on this physical plane, it's all about improving this world. Tikkun Olam, right? I mean, it's like something you're uh, supposed- I always talk about that, yeah. Well, yeah. So this is exactly why, you know, the see, if you don't make a ripple on this physical surface, then the universe goes like, okay, you wasted your life. Come back again in another fashion. You know, another samsara, you know, wheel turns, you'll have another chance. So, so that's why, that's where this two fork road. So people who are looking for to experience this, right? And they think, okay, I can transfer it, right? Well, masters can in their presence. And then, yeah, there are some caveats because there are some spiritual gurus, you know, you I was about to ask you about that. The people who spend 30 years in a cave, Yes, they, this, their significance is that they know how to hold that space. That's right. But here is the rub. And, you know, how do you know that what they have is actually comes from the higher planes, right? And then the lower planes? No, I thought about that. It could be just a mental construct, like an egregore, feeding by our energy and our attention, but it stays at a mental level. It's not from up there, right? It's just like, you know, you go to a, into a monastery, into a church, right? You feel the presence because a lot of people pray there. But it may not be very spiritual. It's just our anxiety, our desires gets accumulated someplace and it becomes an egregore. And people, sometimes they feed it. Yeah, sometimes it does something in return, but a massive number of people, they feed, feed it, right? So spiritual goods, they create the same thing. They create that egregore and it doesn't go beyond kind of stays here you know you feed it with your focus on the on the guru on that master so basically it's like an ego exercise both devotion to yes it's a person. devotion yeah but it's a very you know it's a it stays on that not so high level and uh, that's why you know we talked about hallucinations how do you know what's real how do you know what's real right and this is this is where again i'm coming from my experience i've always doubted too many things about myself, right? Even though I knew I had something, but I was like, I can't take it to the bank, so I should ignore, right? Repeatedly, on and on, on and on and on. So the idea is that if you think you're getting close to something, always look for ways to validate it. Any way you can validate it beyond your subjective perception, you're on the right path, you know, because for example, you know, you heard, you, you know, like talking about synchronicities. I know people who have synchronicities every day, like three, four, five of them. They just kind of fly at them all the time. It's even funny. I don't have that many. I have, but I don't have that many. So I think like, well, this person I'm, I'm referring to, it must be like really close to something. Because those signs pop up, right? Like numbers, or like something else, or like messages, or like voices, or like, I don't know, whatever, like various forms. It's way beyond a statistical like yes it's a fluke exactly like, yeah yeah. It's, yeah it's definitely not a fluke yeah so so the idea is again it's like you know if you can take your perception of what you're working with what you're processing and then you get 
confirmation from somebody. It doesn't have to be 100%, because everybody gets a piece, a sliver of what you're going through, right? So, but you wanna like distill it and feed it somewhere to validate. Hey, you know, what do you think about this concept? What do you think of that concept? That's why when we're talking about the point of reference is very important. So I can explain how I function using neuroscience. You know, words and everything, it's called Instasynaptic plasticity, but technically there's a very funny name for it. It's a functional plasticity because what I do is helping the brain rewire damaged parts of the brain and create new pathways. And it's called, there's a subsect uh, or type of a functional uh, 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 plasticity called compensatory masquerade. That's a very strange name. Yeah, but that's how it works, right? So I kind of I kind of had a deep dive into this, so I learned it. Well, same thing like, you know, with your experience. You go, you learn, okay, how do you call this? Am I the only one seeing this? Is it only talking to me? What if it's only in my mind? So you have to like really take it out and test it on somebody else or using esoteric tools. Okay, for example, you have a great mind of a scientist. You have a gift for complex science, physics, maths. Okay, great. Tick the box. Next. What can I do with things that don't fit? Okay, do I process internally and then deal with it? Or I can outsource validation to somebody who can come, are not interested in influencing my decision-making process, but they can come back and say, okay, this checks out. Don't know why, don't know how, but it's for real. You grab it, thank you very much. You roll with another piece. And then when you get all the feedback you need, you know, okay, what I'm dealing with, it's not a hallucination, it's not any strange imagery, it's not my uh, mind is playing tricks in me, right? I can work with it. Now, what do I call this? Because it has no point of rele relevance or no point of reference, right? So then you start- It doesn't exist if we don't have a word for it, really, yeah. Yeah, but you have to have, you know, uh, like several words for it because it creates the uh, uh, the linguistic uh, referential system, you know, which is easier for you to uh, work with it, like I did. I put, the, you know, the terms for things, why they happen, you know. Some people provided, you know, especially working with therapists, they provided some good terms. Sometimes they're not very mainstream. Could be like, you know, when they say, like, when you remove people's trauma, people feel like, half or parts of the physical body is gone. So yeah, because... They were identified with it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And also at the same time, I said, look, they, they, they refer to that as spaciousness. Why well, have that spaciousness? Like I walk around, like there are holes in me. So yeah, it's because your nervous system, your brain associated all that stuff, you know. With part of your body. Yeah, with part of your body. Gone. Somehow, now it's gone and you feel like, okay, I'm lighter. Uh, so it's not there. Yeah. So it's like a phantom limb of your spiritual body, right? Exactly. That's, That's exactly what one therapist said. Yeah. It's a phantom limb uh, syndrome. That is so interesting. So if I, if I have to collect this wonderful answer you just gave me about, well, like, what would be the, how do we talk to science uh, into one phrase, it sounds like you're saying, well, the proof is in the pudding, but you're not saying it in a obnoxious way, which is like, well, you know, come and find out. You're saying, look, there's, and again, you, you correct me why I got them wrong, but it sounds like you're saying there's a lot of different terminologies for a lot of different functionalities we're trying to do. If you come from a physicalist perspective, 
it might be that your modality is incomplete to actually touch on the core of what the thing actually is and how it operates. But that's okay. I can still show you that you can produce results, very measurable results in people's behavior, let's say. But the real reframing must be is what is the mind actually is. If you're not willing to venture into that territory, you might be locked forever in trying to explain away these phenomena because they are not they're not comporting into some kind of a picture you already want to let put them on into so it's like you're saying uh for example the mirror neuron idea right yeah me personally now that i'm dealing with this whole discovery thing and i'm starting to realize it was like well look at the situation i find myself in the thing is reproducible pretty much 100 percent of the time but it's reproducible only by observers because at the moment there's no instrument that we know they can see it because the only thing they can see it at the moment as far as we know is a human mind on DMT or on uh, ayahuasca on psilocybin, right? So how do you put this into the scientific framework? Because you have to allow yourself, if something is reproducible on that level, you have to allow yourself to venture into a new territory of, of frame in order for maybe assume that there's, there's something else that you don't understand about the world. Because maybe there is a device that will be able to record eventually, but in order to understand how to dial in that device to this exact place, you have to first understand what is the continuum that it's on. Because it's not just the light. It seems that it's a combination, it's somewhere along the continuum of experience itself. And because science doesn't know how to quantify experience, it can't put it in a box and say, okay, now we're looking at this spectrum of the experience. There's no devices to do that at the moment. Yeah. Maybe with Neuralink or something, I don't know. But So it sounds like what you're telling me is that the proof is in the pudding in the sense that you can do this with a person and they're transformed in this way and you say in advance that that's how they're going to be transformed and that's how they're transformed and then yeah. you do it again and again yeah. and again yeah. so, the, so so that's the the real um value of taking people with professions that deal with this stuff in the mainstream science like psychologists for example because they have the the linguistic tools yes. to talk about this stuff and communicate it onwards yeah. in a language that the rest of science is more comfortable with. That's right, right? That's right. So what would you say is the thing that you personally, um, well, let me, okay, let me, let me ask the question in a different way. If you, if you have to point to one thing that you remember since you were a child to now, would it be along the lines of everything you described to me so far, which is like these abilities, or these abilities kind of tagged along later on, on top of something that is deeper than that? Okay, yeah, that's a good question. First off, I think all those abilities are dormant in us. They're sitting there someplace, but the negative blockage, our accumulated experience, human experience, blocks them from coming online. The reason being because one of my partners just recently observed, he said like, okay, uh, if there aren't anybody like you delivering what you do, because you deliver permanent results. And usually people were very skeptical about me until just very recently when yeah, they see- you know Sorry, I didn't cut you off. I asked you in one conversation off camera, I told you who has the right to remove karma. And then you said- Exactly. Well, that's a misunderstanding of what karma is. That's right. So let's get back to this. So the way this guy, David Emerland, described karma is actually our you know, uh, reaction to the world around us. It's like, you know, like negative feeds negative or negative attracts negative, right? So if we get a lot of trauma, we push back. The more we push back, the more we get the pressure from the outside, right? And then we're going in this spiral road until we realize, okay, I gotta stop right here. Because it's only death waiting for me there. 
you stop, you veer off, and you start a new journey, right? So, so the way he describes it, it's like the way our brain processes all these experiences, right? You know, if we live in a very, uh, you know, violent world, right? We always want to push back, right? Because we feel the need to release that pressure inside of us, right? But that attracts more trouble, you know. You may have some problems, you know, in the family, then you end up with a gang, then one before you know it, like, you could be on a spiral downwards, right? So it's basically, it's all sitting in our brain because the way uh, David Emelin talks about it, it's like, okay, our brains, you know, are built to conserve energy. So that's why they always look for shortcuts. Being kind is actually it's a powerful shortcut because you don't have to attract violence and bad people. Or, you know, so all these small bits, you know, you talked about, like whatever helps us conserve uh, you know, the brain's energy, you know, ultimately leads us to become better people. So, okay, talking about karma, yes, it can be put, you know, in, in this, this way. It's all about our reactions, right? But the idea is that, um, you know, if you talk about, for instance, uh, uh, going back to the original uh, point, like, you know, creating the language and how you explain all that. So why is what I do is permanent? This is really weird. Yeah, that's a big question. That's a big, it's a big thing. And then only like a year later, one of the CEOs of the companies in the States, she came, she came back to me and said like, I thought you were joking when you said you removed it permanently. It's been one year and I'm exactly the same way you left me. Have a lot of energy. I attract good people. Everybody is in awe of me, you know. My performance is stellar. I'm happy. I feel Teflon coated, bulletproof feel invincible, I'm on fire. I was like, okay, don't you think it's about time for you to write up a testimonial for me? You know, if it's been one year, huh? or you want to wait for another year? <laughs> because the definition of permanent, you know, is different. Even for a year, that would be insane. Yes. I mean, but, I mean, people with, with means would spend a lot of money to have a year of being in full flow. The, yeah. Getting the limitless pill for one year, that, yeah. that would cost a lot of money. Yeah. Even for one year. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, that's why I was talking to a therapist. I said, okay, how can we describe that two of my sessions would be tantamount to what? And we wrote a number 92 high quality therapy sessions to the tune of $20,000. Okay, you've got some metrics, you've got some measurable ways of looking at it, right? I mean, because it could be subjective, right? This person could, say, could have said, hey, I feel great. Feeling great doesn't really sum it up unless you start saying, I have this insane level of energy, insane focus, clarity, you know, there's particular parameters. Yes, okay. yes. Because you see, I was interested. That's why I, w I worked with police, and because I w wanted to understand that with the level of PTSDs and stress and traumas they have, would I be able to deliver the same thing? And then uh, there was one volunteer that stepped up. You know, this uh, police woman, the police officer, said like, I've been doing like countless numbers of therapy and everything. I just need this, you know, because it's like I'm getting suicidal. I didn't offer. Somebody else did. So she came to me, said, okay, I've done it. She was like, it's all gone. I don't have to take medication, nothing. Like, wow. Yeah, so, so she's still running around wild. That's why you know, I usually recommend that people do some coaching afterwards because people feel like they expand so much that you know, they're invincible. And this is what troubles me because when they tell me they feel invincible, 
do they put themselves in the harm's way by thinking that mm. way? But but based on the fact that all of my club, you know, previous clients have never ended up dead or mutilated or injured or something, I've I figured okay. That, that's well, always a good track record. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a pretty dial one, but it's like okay. So just like a little little meter on the bottom of your website, yeah. like no casualties. So no casualties so far. No collateral damage either. No collateral right? damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question I wanted to ask you, dare I ask you, how does it play? Because I'm going to prepare you. It's a little grandiose, but how does all of this play into our collective karma from where you're sitting? Like from what, how you observe this whole enterprise? Because you're trying to, it sounds like you're trying to stay very much on the like concrete side because you want to attract both type, this kind of client and this kind of people. People with their head on their shoulders, they can, they're influencers, uh, they're people who can you know, do work, important work. And you understand that you can help a lot of people, but if you help these people who do, or the movers and shakers of the world that move 80% of the percentage of what's going on, then obviously your impact is much greater, right? So, so I understand you need to stay in, in good terms, linguistically and, and energetically with these kind of people. And usually when you ask this question that I'm about to ask about the, you know, the state of affairs of the collective karma, it just sounds so grandiose, it's completely meaningless and therefore it it's usually belongs more in the woo-woo land. But all of that being said, if you have any insight or, or wisdom to part on this subject, do you, do you ever think about that? Like how does, it, how does what you do and what we do collectively now influences the, the is there such a thing as, as human karma? Like can we actually run ourselves into the ground as, as a civilization? Okay, so first of all, I just don't really think that the collective karma exists as a concept. Like we're collectively like are bound, you know, to be doing. No, no. I think every everything is very individual. Uh, everybody, you know. You don't think it's like the magnetic pole, which we all have one, but do we also have the totality hands one? Okay, yeah. I mean, in a way, yes. I mean, but like, uh, for example, I have a, a, an insane, you know, electromagnetic field around me. Okay. Okay. So, I don't really make much sense of it. Okay, I have it, so what? But it's really kind of funny because all of my gadgets, they kind of live. They, they freak out sometimes? No, 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 it's the, that's the opposite of what I have. You know, what you're talking about is a slider, mm. uh, a slider effect, or the gremlin effect. That's you know what, what people, called? yeah, well, people influence, you know, electronics and it goes haywire, yeah. it breaks down. I'm the opposite. So it's basically, it's extending the life. My, my laptop is like, 12 years old. We can make a phone call from a piece of bread. And it's like, no, 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 it's not like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not there yet, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but the idea is like, you know, what I'm saying is like, okay, it's not quantifiable, it's not really, it doesn't really provide any, you know. But the collective karma cannot be, again, the civilizational thing is one thing, but each and everyone's role is very important. Why? Because you see what's gonna happen is like, you don't know what you know, but you're doing what you're doing. Okay, wait, 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 you don't know what you know? Sometimes you don't know what you know. For example, I know, or I don't know that maybe something, some stuff I have missed out on. Okay. It's about me, right? Oh, you don't know what you don't know, you mean? Yeah, well... No, I'm trying to understand what you're saying. Okay. So, okay. I'm just saying about, I'm just talking about yeah, myself. Yeah. You don't know what, what you know, I'm talking about myself, because sometimes I don't know what I am supposed to know in I see. full complexity, I see. right? Got it. So that's why I'm just trying to be like, okay, I'm given this much rope, I can do all of this much. I understand this bit, this bit. There could be something else, an extension of it, right? I don't know that yet. Now, the collective karma is like is a bit 
too much. I think like everybody operates on what he or she is supposed to do with what they have, right? And how successful they are with what they have. You know, they can go through numerous rounds of karmic reincarnation, you know, until they learn basic lessons, right? That's the whole point. Otherwise, what's the point of like, you know, if you get and you figure out everything, right, in your first lifetime, what's the point, right? So civilizational thing is a different story because uh, where are we going with the civilizational, you know, collapse? Or is it going to be some transformation? Or is it going to be some sort of like natural extinction of us as species, right? So everybody talks about that, right? Yeah. That's okay, okay. And maybe but, you don't think about it, and that's but, okay. But think but. about it, right? Then, okay, uh, then what if we get reincarnated? Then this point is not that very relevant as the civilizations and human species and all that. I will just get come back again in a different form, in mm, a different fashion. Yeah, so it's like, so why should you concern... Yeah, why should you concern yourself with this? But if you look from a different perspective, like if I want to make a ripple, I want to make a change. I'm not saying like I want to transform the world, right? But, when I, but I feel compelled, I need to do something with what I've got to help make this world a better place. Not just like really making it better, but making an effort that counts. That's a different story then it kind of gets closer to what you're talking about. Helping this civilization get wiser and maybe overcome certain stupid hurdles, right? So then this thing plays into this civilizational concept a bit, right? Like, like for example, I'm talking about myself. You, you made a good point. Why do you want to work with movers and shakers or decision makers? Oh no no I wasn't asking. I no, was well, wasn't. It, no, that was more like a, like a comment, right? No, I, I but but I want to clarify. I mean, I said that I completely understand why. Okay. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. No, it's, I can tell you why because I can plug in with them and have a report instantly mm. with any business person, any level, CEO, CEO, preferably if they have engineering background. Like I know, like uh, you vibe with them. They respond to me somehow, like positively. Like they would listen to me talk, like five minutes down the road. Like, I want to work with you. That spares you know the trouble. So, so it goes for you. It's more around the fact that this crowd seems to respond positively to you. It's not so much around the fact that they are the ones that actually doing most of the difference in the world. Well, it, that's the other th uh, side of the story because I watched the trajectory of their career paths afterwards, and they reasonably changed. There was something going on in their lives afterwards. I don't want to describe it to myself. Like I said, I'm not doing anything to people. I just create, I just activate the process. I'm not working on them. I'm not using NLP or hypnosis or any, I'm not playing with their minds at all. I just sit there and talk about anything. They just have to listen. How their bodies choose to respond, it's up to them. It's not up to me, it's up to them. So, but again, but I see that change afterwards. And the reason I'm saying that, because again, it's easier for me to project that ripple effect, right? So this person is a judge of a team. So the ripple effect, right? It trickles down. The team start like working differently, maybe doing more good, you know, other things. So it's a ripple effect. It goes like this, from this person. If I work with a person who has no desire to change the world, nothing, it's just a person, right? And I, yes, I do work with people who end up being, you know, in front of me, 
and they just say like, okay, I feel you can help me. I work with them. So it's not like I'm like specific, no, 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 you're not important, right? I'm not doing that. I just believe that whoever shows up in front of me, I have to do that, okay? So that helps, but again, to make sure things get more traction because of uh, the level of response, you know, to me on the part of the you yeah, know, business it's people, it's easier. Sense, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so you're saying that for you, the way you view it, it's much more individual and uh, it's really also the only thing that is relevant because as far as any individual is concerned, that's the only little pocket of the world they have influence on. To think of it in terms of global karma doesn't help you to do anything. If anything, it pro can probably stampede your progress because you, you're just overwhelmed by the... It's like people talk about, you know, the geopolitics and like, I'm talking about not people who are, you know, in big influential positions, people who are just like sitting having coffee, talking about what Putin should do or what Bibi should do and with zero understanding of any of those systems and it doesn't actually move the dial in any direction in the world and not even for them because they're wasting energy talking That's about right. things that actually don't matter. Actually, they, they, it's even worse because they're creating each other's karma in the process, right? Which is not positive, right? Because they're talking about it like, and of course, they're complaining or, you know, they're calling names or they're just... Uh, it's useless, really. It's a waste in the air. Yeah, it just makes them feel like as if they, they have... Well, they feel, yeah. they feel connected to the world. Hey, I read something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I watched that you know, thing yesterday on the news. Then it will play that to you. So it's little... Do you watch the news? No. No, I haven't watched the news in, I don't know, maybe like 15 years. <laughs> and my sister, uh, I actually don't watch TV either, but like we watch stuff on YouTube and stuff. But uh, my sister, like, you know, she's, well, she's a, um, she's a diplomat, so she, she has to kind of follow yeah. the thing. But it was before she was a diplomat. She was following the thing before. It, she loves the like understanding that she likes being concerned about the thing. Sure. And uh, she's my sister's my, my hero. She's like yeah. an incredible human being. But that part always makes me laugh. I'm like she's yeah. like, oh, you don't know what happened. I'm like, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> care. Like it's like it doesn't change anything. For me. Exactly. Yeah. But and and I guess no, it's not. It's true to an extent. Like I mean, I think in the end, it doesn't matter. Like you, you want to know that like a potential nuclear war is coming, right? You, you want to know that kind of stuff, kind of be aware. Uh, even there, actually, I'm not so sure. But you know, if mushroom cloud is there, I'm like, oh, okay, it's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to touch on is is um, is what I started saying before we got into this point, which is that when, well, actually, okay. So let me ask it, but the, because we might find an interesting thing there. What, what I find interesting about the way you talk, first of all, I feel what you're describing. I feel a very columnated, um, like, focus. Um, and it might have been the coffee, but... <laughs> might have been. been. Maybe the coffee had later. <laughs> yes. Um, but I definitely feel that from you. Um, but you're not sitting in front of me. See, you're sitting sideways. Because I want to... I know, I know. Yes, I'm so if I'm sitting in front of you... No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's I, I want to try it. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, but the thing that I wanted to... Okay, so what I find interesting about the way you go about things is that right now I had a question, right? But then when I allowed myself to search just a little bit in what you already said, I already know the answer you're going to give me. So the clarity with which you speak provides a lot of information around itself. It's not just the direct thing you're saying. It's also the things that are implied in what you're saying. Um, so, but, I, but I'll still see if we can maybe find some interesting point there, which is this, this insistence on science, on ignoring certain faculties about things that we can absolutely measure and repeat, like the placebo effect, like the, if that kid just knows those dates yes. or things like that. Yes, um, 
And then I said, how they do it, and you said, why they do it. Um, do you just mean the fact that they're embedded in um, pretty much a physicalist perspective? Is that the limitation? Or is it more than that? Is it their own personal kind of like, they don't want to touch this because whatever reason? How do you view that? Well, you're talking about, about the science, right? Yeah, science okay, is you a have, collective. You, you, okay, okay, think about this, think about this. Big farmer, science, and all of this, okay. Mm. Or huge industry like self-help industry. It's a hundred billion dollars a year. Now imagine they just fix you. Yes, imagine somebody like me. There are hundreds of us, or thousands of us, right? Basically, you obliterate hundreds of billions of dollars. You know, technically speaking. Or imagine energy healers, right? Come online, get recognized, and suddenly you're dealing with thousands of people who can patch you up. Sometimes not even seeing you, you know, in person, right? Just distant, remotely. So I think this whole thing uh, is, has to do with the economics. Because think about it, right? If somebody comes in and says like, okay, it's a placebo, we just have to recognize it. Now, how does it work? Well, it's very easy. You don't yourself, it's a you know, white robe, pose as a doctor, tell somebody like, hey, here's a magic pill. You take it, you're fixed, free to go home. And it works. One third of the time it works. Think about it, right? So basically it's like neuroscience and there has been a lot of great research. I've like combed over that research, I found nuggets. And I was thinking like, it's interesting. Somebody poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into that research. Nobody knows about it. It's hard to find. It's not in the open domain. Google hides it. They start thinking, okay. Really? Oh yeah. What, uh, what, are you talking about placebo things? No, 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 placebo. I'm just talking about like a certain research I was looking for. I couldn't find it online. I had to like really try. So, but the placebo effect, which you're going, Wait, wait, but this is, I'm sorry, this is really interesting to me. Do you actually think a goal like consciously hiding this? Well, everybody knows that, you know, the levels of censorship that we have online, right? So the way everything gets, you know, uh, processed. And filtered, right? Yeah, filtered and stuff, right? So that's why I was like fighting it, like, uh, for example, I would be looking for a specific article. Yeah. And it could be very, very expensive or yeah. impossible to find, right? Okay. I was thinking like, okay, nobody cares about this article, right? Why, why can't it be in the open domain, right? What's oh, the reason? Oh, you mean like a research paper? Yeah, it's like... Well, look, that's how the university makes money. Yeah, no, no, yeah. but it's okay if it's between universities and you know that they want to sell it or they want to like... It's not okay it. either if you ask me, but... I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about from, from their perspective, right? So, um, but you, you, you're going back to your point, like a placebo, you know, recognizing such things means like you're going to give them credibility as going to be cost in a fraction of a market to somebody out there who may not be very happy about it. It's like, you know, fossil fuels versus green economy, blah, blah, blah. It's always about money. It may have a different story, a nice, nicer story. Some, you know, could be even, even very appealing, but still it's all about money. And somebody who's going to benefit from it. So, talking about placebo. Yes, one third of people, that's a lot. Think about it, right? I mean, say, well, no Cebu, right? Like, if you're too negative about the stuff, it happens to you, right? So, it has a certain attraction. I think that in some universities, I mean, not universities, in some medical facilities, they sometimes play that game with the placebo because they realize, like, you know, we can cut out expenses and you know, we can like, play that game. And the person is happy with, his, uh, with the outcome, you know, they go, they leave, we deal with other clients and all that, right? But, the mainstream will never, I think, uh, accept this. 
Really? I you think... You don't think it's possible to change the entire paradigm? Uh, if you want to change the entire paradigm, there has to be a lot more than just placebo. For example, imagine, suddenly, lots of other things arrive at about the same time, and placebo just one of them. You know, like when they talk about the observer effect, right? If you observe experiment, you influence the experiment. Mm -hmm. You're just sitting there. Yeah. And you know, like, uh, you know, uh, there was some, uh, I think Dean Radin did this, you know, he had yeah. the person who meditated on the, you know, the thing like with the, It's you know, crazy that yeah, those crazy. data is being ignored, it's insane. Yes. And it's interesting been, you mentioned that because I've been mentioning this a lot recently. Yes, like Rupert Sheldrake, Dean Radin and stuff like that. I mean, people like that, you know, they, they, they've, they've got the money to do the stuff and then that stuff doesn't register or it's being ignored. That's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. Because, you know, he's got a degree, he's getting the money, he's getting official funding to prove, to make a point. Yeah. You know, but he gets scorn and he gets like really, you know. Well, now there's some medication, but it's still not enough to actually, yeah, now Sheldrake at least. Uh, but, Dean Radin was, yeah, but I, I feel like Dean Radin is also finally coming up kind of like in the, he, I see, I've seen him appear literally in the last month, like on, uh, on some YouTube. podcasts. Yeah, uh, yeah he yeah, started yeah, appearing yeah. there now. Um, he also cleaned up a little bit. He looks yes. kind of like... Um, and it, it, that's what makes me feel... Thank you so much. That's also what makes me feel that there's already kind of like a shift in paradigm, just because... Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, that, there's, that there's openness to these individuals to come up more in like the what is now becoming more of the mainstream. Like you said, we were talking about podcasts before, actually podcasts becoming the main, the big podcasts, they become actually the main media, really. Yes. And you see these people coming up in those circles, you see Sheldrake, you see, uh, you know, things like, like what Anton is doing and um, uh, uh, what John Chavez is focused on, which is try and really like speak the science language, but gently telling science, hey, it's time for you to loosen up a little bit of the old ways you were doing things because really there's, there's you have a different take on this? No, 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 I, but you have to understand you're getting competitive. You're getting competitive with a lot of money out there. And sometimes, you know, they may allow you to do stuff to an extent and then there will be like a hard stop. Oh, okay? somebody will make the stop. Oh yeah, it's like think of Tesla, you know, I mean, I mean, Nikola Tesla, Tesla, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's basically, you know, what is kind of running in the fringe zone Right now, yeah, it's like right in the fringe zone. You know, yeah, the size is okay. They can come complacent, right? You guys, you don't have enough influence. You could, you're just talking heads on some podcasts. Who cares, right? But also, like, going back to, you know, John Chavez and, you know, Anton's experiments and everything, right? You also have to understand that these are just corners of the picture. The entire map... Until they produce something substantial. Well, even if they produce something substantial, because the map itself is huge. I mean, think about this, right? Uh, okay, you know, s stuff you see on DMT versus meditation, deep meditation that people can see th things versus lucid dreaming versus astral traveling. You get different, you know, shades and fragrances, fragrances of that stuff, right? And then you can say like, okay, nobody put a name on it, right? Like what is exactly I'm interacting with? Am I interacting with my subconsciousness, with my imagination, with some sort of a, like astral projection or astral plane, whatever? I know something's happening, but what, what exactly am I doing? Because nobody, people have terms. Could be religious, could be sacred, could be, you know, sort of like pseudo-scientific terms, right? 
But still, the map itself is so huge. To integrate all of that, you know, will, will be a different undertaking. Because, for example, uh, you know, you, brought, you mentioned entities, you know. So who's engaging with entities, right? Okay, is it in your mind? Is it a new way of channel that you have with that community, that you communicated with something? I have, How real? I have some input on this, but please. Good, good. Yeah, I, mean, I was yeah. just kind of, you know, just a good use an example because we talked about meditation as I travel and all this stuff. Because people sometimes have some real deep experiences and interaction. They come back and they can report. You know, I talked to so and so, I did this and this. I went back again and it was there. And we picked up where we left off. So there is some continuity, there is something going on. So, so that's why, you know, you start looking at this and think, okay. Uh, at which, at some point, it stops being subjective, and when when more people share this, it's like takes a life of its own, right? So you have a board of reference. Okay, you know, you had that experience. Oh, I had that experience. What happened? What you know? What happened when you had that? Okay, well, I had the same kind of like. So then you start talking, but there's no common language yet. Yes. And ninety percent no of the, there's no, well, map is a huge undertaking, but just inside your own group. You start talking, you match your experiences, but you don't have a common language. So it doesn't take you to level number two because you just refer and relate those experiences, right? So let's go back to what you wanted to say about those uh, entities. So what I wanted to say is not necessarily just about the entities, but about those spaces in particular. The point I wanna um, talk about is what you said, which is very difficult to compare what let's say the astral travelers say versus what the psychedelic people say versus what the meditators say. So my input in that is you can have certain kinds of experiences that you need no other verifying person to know for a fact that this is real. And here's how you go about this. The reframing has to be that the focus should not be on how much we can compare these things or compare the data from these spaces. Did you talk to this person? Uh, did you talk to this entity? Oh, how did it look? How did it feel? <laughs> It can be infinite level way. That's not the point. The point is there's certain signatures to levels of reality. That's what I would claim. And this is not going to be satisfactory. I'm saying it right away to any, again, person who kind of runs the physicalist uh, software at the moment. But if you can loosen yourself up for just a little bit, try and think about this. I always dis use this as an example. And I, and I believe this is something that Terrence said also, which is that the, 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 nobody asks why you know when when you when you woke up from a dream and then you remembered that this was reality nobody ever asks but how do i know because they just know so they don't care about it and just move on with their day but if you ask yourself how do you actually know that this is now reality there's certain parameters there's certain criteria to reality that are not like the dream and it's not about content because the content can be very similar so things in the dream are more murky the more cloud-like sure uh your visual acuity is much higher here. Those are specific parameters. Uh, surfaces are much more smooth and uh, uh, your edge detection is much higher in, 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 in regular reality. Things are more continuous over time. They don't just erratically shift from one moment, unless we're talking about Boltzmann brains, but that's a whole other can of worms. But, but basically, you know, those are particular parameters we can point to and say, aha, that's how I know this is the world. I don't need anybody else to tell me, hey, is this the real life? Like, I don't need you to tell me that I know it is, right? So then it actually cures the, the cures our minds also from the need to engage with silly philosophical discussions 
of like, but how do you even know that this is real? I'm experiencing it. That's all I need to know to establish it. I don't care if I'm a brain in a vat. I don't care if this is similar. I don't care what the, how it comes to be. I know this is real because I'm experiencing it, whatever it is. But I do know there's a difference between levels of realness. So if you take this analogy one level up, the reason you know that the DMT space is real, even without what I've discovered, even without mapping the space, is because all those parameters I just mentioned that we, but that we utilize to distinguish what is more real than not, apply one level up. Visual acuity goes up when you're in psychedelics, specifically with DMT and uh, psilocybin. Your edge detection becomes much sharper. Things are more continuous over time. It, they're clearly much more, um, they have more of an essence to them. So like the red is more red. And those concepts are very difficult to, to communicate because what do you mean more red? Well, there's a certain essential component to what red is. Not, the, not what, how we describe red in our physical reality, which is the wavelength. Because that's just a third-person explanation of what, how the light behaves when it looks red. But it doesn't explain why it appears this exact experience that you call red, right? So when, when you do mushrooms, for example, the red becomes more red. But if you ask yourself what changed, there's no more light coming in. There's, no more, there's nothing in your physical parameters changed aside from the fact that you know it's more red. Because the, the essence of redness is more apparent to you. The aperture of what the meaning of red is, is bigger. And that's the parameter. Like if I have to think about one thing that has to be reframed in our perception, it would be that. Because the second we, we allow this to come on board, it becomes clear that, aha, now I have a way to talk about a continuum of the same way that this is more red, you're more what you are to me when I'm on psychedelics. I see more of the essence of what you are. I see more of, that's why people see, Everything, everything is connected. Yeah, because you now the aperture of what everything means together is more apparent to you. You drop into the space. And people experience this, by the way, haphazardly in their lives. They have moments of clarity that all of a sudden everything just clicks and it's like this like big aha. You're like, oh, oh I, I get it. And people experience it in very minute ways when they learn new things. Like they, you know, they try to get this math equation or this kind of thing or a new language that they learn and, and it's just a salad. And all of a sudden, ah. I see the, I, I see it, I see the white flows and how it connects. And you can always, always add the physicalist explanation of like, what are you talking about? I mean, your brain has capabilities of understanding language. It slowly modifies itself until you learn the meaning of words and all that stuff. But that's just, you're not saying anything different. You're just explaining in physicalist perspective what you think the, the causes are, but you did nothing to explain the experience of that moment. And yeah, that, that would be my, my, my contribution to this question of like, how do we compare these things? It's not about the content. It's about how does it feel? And because people are really bad at describing the, the experience of it itself, the signature, they latch on to the content. And that's where the mistranslations start happening. Because the creature might have had three heads, it might have had two heads, might have been the same thing because it can manifest itself in many different ways to, the, to different minds, but it might have felt the same. There was a certain feeling to the, to the thing. And the second you say feeling to the scientist, conversation is over, yeah. right? Yeah. And, th and that's really the main problem, the way that I view it. Um, well, Anatoly, I'm, I'm, I know we, we, we can't sit here forever, even though I, I would love to, this is a fascinating conversation. Let me ask you uh, one more thing about you personally. You, you came from Russia, right? Yes. Yes. And uh, you, you find yourself in a position where, because of the craziness in Russia, uh, you um, 
you, you have to allow yourself to be in a different frame at the moment, right? We'll just put it that way. Would you say that this influences the work that you do or it, it changed nothing for you because you feel like you're in a different, in a different sphere operating? Uh, I think it does influence uh, the way uh, I do things because there's one way of uh, you know staying behind and then you know getting swept up with all the craziness. There's a different way to be, you know, even up here in the mountains, right? We still operate in a different, uh, on a different level, like you and I talking. That's already a giant step, you know, in the right direction. So why is it specifically? Uh, because think about this, the conversation we're having and the conversations I've had with other people, you know, they've been more open, there was more exchange, sharing ideas, contribution, you know, not hampered by where you are, the ability to connect, or even people's, you know, desire to be open to somebody who is in Russia. The moment I'm out, it's a total new game, in a whole new game. You mean in Russia it's much more limited because of everything in school? Uh, yeah, well, it's just because even people, you know, from outside of Russia would be very reluctant to speak to me. Hmm. So, so what I'm saying is like, this preconceived... I, I, I just to sure. make, the, make a distinction there, are you talking about the fact that people treat people from Russia at the moment a little different in general? Well, I mean, the, there's definitely a certain level of uh, conditioning by the news, by what's going on, mm. right? So that's why... And me being in Russia and dealing with somebody or talking to somebody has a great, you know, downside effect. You know, because everybody comes with a very preconceived idea like what's going on. So that's why, you know, they feel like, okay, it could be anything. It could be like a creature from space. But if you landed in Russia and I want to shake your tentacle, I may want to like wash my hands before and not never touch it. <laughs> wow. So... So but it was China and now it's Russia. <laughs> well, I mean, we just have to be aware of this, you know. This way or not. But you're feeling that. You're saying you're feeling that. Wow. Yeah, so. Interesting. I never really paid attention. Maybe it also happened to me if I tell people that I'm originally from Russia. But I just, I don't know. Well, I, I you could I'm, try that and see how people react. To actually pay attention to that. No, I just don't pay attention. Maybe. Well, I know. You, you don't. But other people are, you know, more yeah, yeah. rounded in what they're being fed by the media. So that's why it's just this filter that goes on and on and off. So, um, but again, like again, you know, you and I talking, you know, you were on your way over here anyhow. Yeah. So think about this, right? You weren't going, you weren't planning to go to Moscow. So. Oh, I go. see what you're saying. Yes. Actually, I was thinking about it because my dad is there. Yeah, but not that this, we're talking about this point in time. You know? Yeah, yeah, this point in time. Oh, okay. And then, and then, you know, my mom suggested against it. Even though she just recently went there, which I don't know if it was wise, but yeah. That no, was no. wise, I, didn't. I mean, think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, one final thing I want to ask you. What, if you have to envision the, everything you're doing, developing into the future, do you spend any time thinking about that or you just, what people say, go with the flow? Or you have a whole plan of how do you expand this? We, we, okay, so remember like at the very beginning of a conversation we talked about, okay. So you can either envision things, right? And kind of like mold them with your desire, with your thinking, and at the same time, read the signs, right? That kind of come to you to either to support this or not to support that. Mm -hmm. I'm doing both. So I pretty much have an idea where I will be in about three years and five years, but like again, this could change or get altered. Just like I told you about the vision I had about you coming over, right? 
I just only saw a piece of a car and like, you know, but I had an idea, a hint, not necessarily a grainy picture with exactly you being there. So, so the future is fluid. So I have, I take it, you know, like that. I can only see this much. I can only feel this much. And I read the signs and I make adjustments as I go. That's it. And what do you desire? My desire? Well, my desire is to basically realize my full potential with what I have and make sure I can do this. If I can do that, I can spend uh, some time here, up in the mountains, you know, chasing rabbits. Well, I don't think that would be a great idea. <laughs> it's a great idea for a pastime, you know, but, but my good, yeah, my great desire is to actually um, implement and realize the potential I have and make sure that it has, uh, you know, the impact, not personally for me, but for people who seek an input like that, to empower them to move onwards and realize what they have in mind, or as a goal. That's incredible. And uh, what, uh, one question for me out of curiosity, because your English is impeccable. It really is, it's unbelievable. Uh, and you speak many languages from what I understand. Uh, how many total? Well, I'm more comfortable like speaking three or four languages, okay. right? you know, like uh, Japanese and Swedish and Polish and English. And other languages, they're like in a dormant state. So it's basically, um, okay, let's see, it's like uh, related languages like, you know, Czech, Norwegian, you know, Farsi. Uh, I don't speak Hebrew. But yeah. Yeah. So, but, so did you do it for work or you did it just because you really like learning? Uh, it was part of the... Um, I had this feeling that my linguistic proclivity would be very essential to realize my potential early on. When I was like seven, I, I realized, okay, looks like I have to learn other languages to be able to realize myself in this world. So I kind of knew that. You know, when you know that, you're gonna start doing it, right? Because it feels right. Yeah. You don't force it. So you just do it. It's really interesting because when I speak different languages, I feel like a different person every time. Yes, that's true. So, so it is very interesting because you, you gain very diverse sets of perspectives if that's you right. truly speak many languages. Yes. I always say you don't speak the language until you speak the mannerisms of that language. And you, uh, you even speak the, the, like when you speak English, you even speak the mannerisms, which is, it's, it's actually very unique. You don't see that in a lot of people that live, uh, let's say in Russia or like some other countries. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's... Uh, the, the being able to travel in between dimensions and in between cultures and in between individuals is definitely empowered a lot by speaking a few languages because you you understand what it's like to all of a sudden shift your perspective entirely just by the way that you act and speak basically. Well, it's like in your case, when you speak you know, your three languages, right? Quite confidently, it helps you give gain that different perspective on things because mm -hmm. you can shift gears go into a different language and suddenly you go back to what you observed or you thought about and suddenly you're provided with a cue right and then you act on it yeah so and that by the way it also kind of gives you the internal structure when you talk about you know like trips and ideas and your level of perception that internal structure that comes with the language is the groundwork for you because it's like a you know a point of reference Okay, so you know that, okay, I need to be more open because there are other things out there. Okay, I'm ready. I've got some internal structures. I've got my IQ. I've got my abilities. I've got my life experience. I've got, you know, all of that stuff. 
and I'm very comfortable balancing the complexity of it. So that's why, you know, like in your case, like in my case, we're very similar. Well, I think that is a big compliment. Uh, hopefully I will also learn to realize a lot of my, uh, you know, if they exist, the, the more uh, intuitive perceptions, which at the moment is still very much in the infancy of trying to understand. But that will be an interesting domain to actually explore. I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by seeing what's about to unfold, both in my own personal life and in the world in that sense. My sense is that, uh, that really something very big is about to shift. Uh, which of course is, uh, you know, it's a known state. Many cultures have always talked about it, like the, the thing is right around yeah, the corner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it really, it really feels that something else is happening here. I have uh, some events that are happening in my life that are kind of like conform conforming to that and uh, seem to be really pointing to that. Uh, but I'm, I'm really encouraged to, the, the people that I meet now, like yourself, I'm really encouraged to see that the that the flavor of this title, which you don't call yourself any of that, minus than one, the healer, a psychic, but people were with more, with those extra perceptions and abilities to help other people, it's really encouraging to me personally to see that the type of person who embodies that all of a sudden resembles more of what I consider to be a rational human being that is not being overwhelmed by the by those spaces it's uh I'm, I'm, and it might be a, a shortcoming of mine but i'm having a really hard time with people who are too breathy you know what i mean like they're just like they they try to hover above everything it's just i have a really hard time with that and again it might be pointing to some kind of inadequacy in me but it, it, something tells me that there's some kind of a disconnect there between it's almost like they're acting what they think the world wants to see in that kind of a person versus just being themselves which it seems that that's exactly what you were, you were doing. Yes. So yeah. So I wanna I wanna I wanna acknowledge that because it's 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 I don't see it a lot and I and I really appreciate that. Um, Anatoly, I uh, I would love to have this conversation again when when I come by again and uh, like we said we might actually um, also document some of the events around not just what's going on in your life but also with, with this whole big thing that is happening. So, uh, yeah, I would love to have you be one of the central characters in this whole uh, storytelling enterprise. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited and uh, already expecting the next conversation. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you.